Good to see everybody here. Merry Christmas. Hope you guys all had a great Christmas. Um, I wanted to uh, share with you some announcements. Scott and Bruce and Taylor, all the guys that do our announcements, are all gone on trips or vacations, and so you just have me doing this. So, But welcome. I'll try to be as bubbly as Scott is. I don't have any good jokes. Scott usually has a good one-liner, but... Um, but welcome, and if this is your first time, we would really especially like to welcome you. We do have some uh, gift bags near the front as, you, as you've as you entered, and if you want, you pick one of those up. It tells you a little bit about our church, And um, but if everybody would at some point fill one of these white cards out and then drop it in the offering later on, just gives us a, a, a record that you are here, lets us know how to pray for you. On the back, there's a place for prayer requests where our staff um, gets those and we're able to pray for you specifically. And then if you have any questions about anything coming up, you can always write that on here. There's a few events that um, I wanted to draw your attention to. And you see them, they're in the bulletin, but just to explain what some of these things are. On the 9th of January, we're doing a membership celebration uh, and renewal. And so for those of you who are members of, of OCC, um, this is a time for us, we do this annually, to um, uh, look again at our values and our mission, uh, why we exist, and then just it's an opportunity for you to um, reevaluate if it's something you want to uh, continue to uh, be a part of as a member, as a participating member. So there's going to be a potluck and just a brief time where we'll be talking through um, some things coming up for the upcoming year, and so give you an opportunity to be at that. Uh, again, that's on the 9th. And then on the 12th, we're having a Chick-fil-A OCC night out, and that should be a lot of fun, just a time to get to know other people who attend here, and um, there's also a lunch out on the 23rd, and we enjoy eating together, so these are opportunities for that. So let's, let's pray one more time. Father, thank you so much for being here, and we, do, uh, uh, we want this to be a time that honors you, God, above all else. We want this to, to be about you. Father, so we ask that you'd open our hearts and our our minds to hear from you, Lord. Um, we just offer ourselves to you right now. We ask that you speak to us, God, in a very real way. As we wrap up this year, especially, Lord, help us to evaluate, God, all that's gone on and, and what's coming up. And, and, Lord, I pray you'd address things in our hearts um, that, that you intend to um, challenge us with, Lord. I pray for all those who are, uh, during the holiday season, hurting because of uh, loved ones that have been lost and um, the bittersweet celebration, Lord, I'm sure, uh, for, for, for many. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, comfort those who need your comfort right now, Lord, in this room and those who are traveling even who are a part of our church, Lord, that you would strengthen them, Lord, in a time that is, you know, we do celebrate the birth of your son, Lord, and we're, we're so excited to be able to do that each year to remember um, the gift of, of Christ. And um, we thank you for this season. But we do pray, God, that you bring your real comfort, Lord, through your presence in our lives, Lord. Um, Lord, this world, we, we, we walk through all sorts of difficulty. None of us can escape trouble, trials. And, um, but, Lord, we thank you that there's more to life than just what's here on earth. We thank you that we have something eternal to look forward to for those of us who know you, Lord. We pray that you would help all here to nail some things down with you in their lives um, so that they could um, have a home in heaven and... and truly experience life to the fullest here on earth. We ask you to speak to us right now, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, 
Last Sunday, um, we had a family Christmas service. It was a great time. We got to hear some kids singing and just different things. Um, And I was thinking about, at the end of Luke chapter 2, which is what I spoke about last week, uh, you know, the shepherds hear the story from the angels, or the shepherds see these angels, and they're, they're told that, you know, their Savior was being born in Bethlehem. And Scripture says that they went to Bethlehem, they saw everything as, as it had been foretold by these angels, and they were amazed. And they told the story to Mary and Joseph and others who, Scripture says, they told the story to those who were present. And everyone was just, you know, in awe of what had happened. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, she treasured these things in her heart because she knew something was special about her son. She, an angel had appeared to her as well. And, I mean, there was just this sense of, of uh, expectation and, and excitement. And, it, and then the shepherds head home. And it says in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, you see this up on the screen. Luke 2 ends with this verse. It says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Um, you know, they could have just went home. You know, they saw, they saw heaven open up. Angels, they saw angels come, and, and they heard about this baby that was born, and they see the baby, just like the angel said. And they could have just went home and thought, man, that was a crazy trip. That was, something was unusual about this experience. And it could have just, you know, they could have just thought, wow, that was, that was odd, and went on with their lives. And we really don't get the story of what happens to the, to the uh, shepherds. But I was sitting there thinking last week about, I wonder what happened with the shepherds. Um, if I were there, and I, I saw the angels, and I went and saw the baby, um, how would that impact my life? To have seen Jesus, to have, to have seen the miraculous, supernatural side of this, when we read about it. And um, for those of us who've responded and, and decided to follow Christ, um, we have different levels of... of uh, of change that happens in our lives as we decide to walk with Him. But in the Scriptures, I, I really think a lot about, I wonder how this altered the perspective of the shepherds. I wonder how it changed them. I wonder what life was like for them the next day and, and you know, the next year. Did they continue to, to think about what they'd seen or did it just go back to life, you know, business as usual for the shepherds, just out there doing their thing? And it really got me thinking about that, because in the Scripture, some people who met Jesus Christ had, had this radical, life-altering experience. And they just saw this, they, they, they really changed. And it happened kind of all at once. They met Christ, or they were, they, someone shared Christ with them, they were going their way in life, and then boom, they turned, and their life took just this radical turn, and it began to change. God began to do new things in their life, and... Paul was an example of that. In Acts chapter 9, you can read the story in Acts 9 where Paul, he meets the risen Jesus and God allows him to, to, to face-to-face see Jesus, the man who, whose cause Paul was persecuting. He was trying to kill off the Christians. He meets Christ and Paul's life has just radically changed. The scripture says, Right away, he began to, to teach and to preach, and he was getting training. And Acts 9 talks about he went and got training. And just this shift goes on in his life. Everything was different. It, it altered his life. Others, though, in the Scripture, saw a much more gradual change. Some people uh, met Christ, and they kind of rode the fence for quite a while, or they began to follow him, but things in their life 
it was really slow to change. It was a slow process of, of growth. And like many of the 12 disciples, some of these folks in, the, in Jesus' closest, uh, amongst his closest followers, were slow to change. I would say they, they'd change, but they were really mulling and weighing the options out. And uh, there's, this, there's this line here in John 6, 67 through 69. And at one point, Jesus was talking about how hard it would be to follow him. And, and some people even said, Jesus said, not everybody's going to stick around. And, and at that point in his ministry, some people left and walked away. They chose to not continue to follow Christ. And then... As these people are departing, he turns and looks at his disciples and he says this to them. He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter, kind of one of the leaders, he speaks up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus was asking this question because some of them, I think there's an implication in the verse that some of the guys were gradually experiencing change in their lives. There wasn't this... Uh, you know, why would he ask this question? <laughs> are you going to stick around? Are you, are you going to walk with me? And I think the reason is because we all experience different stages of growth in our life. Every single one of us. The, the, the response to Christ is different. Some people are like Paul, where there's just this radical turn, and others are maybe more like some of the disciples who... Um, we're challenged, but we also experience, we say, like, like Peter said, Lord, you hold the words of eternal life. There's something unique about what you're doing. There's, where else do we, can we go? He's saying, we're not going to go anywhere else. But there was this gradual shift in some of their lives. And, but there was still a change. A point I really want to make is, there was still a change, and there will be a change in the lives of all those who follow Christ. But some people, it's life-altering, radical some people, it's this slow, gradual change, and it's seen over a period of years. Uh, this is true for all of those who follow Christ. God's aim is this. It's in your outline. God's aim is to bring godly change to our lives. This is what God is trying to do. This is, this is what He's aiming for. And Paul, he, he brought this issue up to the church in, in Philippi. He said this. He said, being confident of this, that He, speaking of God, God who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. I'm sorry, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So God started something in your life and in my life that He, he intends to continue until the point we leave this planet. He is working out this process of change in our lives. And it started the moment you received Him, if you have received Him, and then there's some changes happening in, in our lives. And this is helpful to understand because sometimes we get this idea in our head that's inaccurate or, or not realistic. Um, God is he's aiming to change us. He has a bias towards growth. Uh, don't confuse what I'm saying. You, you can read into uh, some of what I'm saying and, and think that I'm saying that you don't have a, a secure relationship in Christ if your growth is slow. And that's not what I'm saying. Actually, in fact, if you've decided to follow Christ, your relationship with Him is fully secure because it's it's not dependent on anything you've done or continue to do. It's dependent fully on the work that He has done. But He's working out this process in our lives. There's this, the word salvation, you know, our our being saved, 
You've probably heard that term if you've been around any church. And Salvation in the Scripture is wrapped up in three theological concepts or ideas. And I, I quickly, these aren't in your outline, but I was thinking about these because this really helps us, I think, understand the change that takes place in our life. The first one is um, an idea called justification. You might write that down and look it up later. But justification is, is the point in time when you respond in faith and you accept God's forgiveness through receiving His Son. At that point when you say, I invite you, Christ, to save me of my sins, I yield my life to you as Lord, you, you are justified. And the word justified, you can think of it as just as if I've never sinned. It's basically you're seen as perfect in God's eyes. God looks at you through the finished work of Christ. You've been justified. You've been saved. And at that moment, on that day when you did that, you were delivered from the penalty of sin. That's the key word when it comes to justification is the word penalty. Uh, we, have, we all deal with sin, but sin in our lives has been paid for through the work of Christ. And so when we're justified, when we come to faith, the penalty is, is, is dealt with. It's been paid for through Christ. And, and so in one sense, we were saved. And when I think about salvation, it's, it's, it's a past tense in this understanding, in this concept. We were saved. Then there's another term that's used theologically. It's sanctification. And sanctification is a term that describes the change that God begins to take us through or work us through as we're becoming more like Him. It begins at the moment you are justified. So it begins at the moment you respond to Christ and it, and it ends at the point of our death. When we leave earth, that process of sanctification, and the word sanctify actually means to make holy. So God is making us holy in this process. And what's happening in, in our sanctification in this change is God is saving us. It's a present tense idea of salvation. He's saving us right now. We were saved because we were saved from the penalty of sin, but we are being saved right now from the power of sin on our lives. God's He's helping us overcome the power, the grip that sin had had on us and has had on us, but we won't fully be saved from that power of sin while we're on earth. None of us are going to become perfect here on earth. Then there's this third thought that comes up in Scripture's glorification, and this is part of our salvation that is our future hope. This is what we long for and long to experience when we're in heaven. This is a part of our salvation. When we die, for those of us who know Christ, the Scripture says we immediately leave earth. Our, our bodies are here, but our spirits go on to be in the presence of God. So we experience heaven. We experience the presence of God, of God and we will be saved from the presence of sin at that point. The idea there is the presence of sin is, is no longer there in heaven. There's no possibility that we can sin in heaven. And so it's a, there's this future sense of our salvation. I will be saved. So we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. That's, that's really salvation in the Scriptures. It's this all-encompassing idea that we see. What I really want to focus on, and what we tend to focus on as a church, is that middle section of, we are being saved. We are being changed because God is in the process of making us more holy. And for some of us, like I said, you might feel like I'm like the Paul character who I was going one way in life. I decided to commit my life to him and then boom, I turned another direction and the grip that sin had on my life really was loosened. I was able to let some things go. I was able to make progress a lot faster. 
there's just this radical renewal in my life. I'm, I have a new purpose. I'm, I'm moving in a totally different direction. Some of you might be feeling that way. Others of you, you might have just, you know, you decided to follow Christ. You turned around, but you feel like, man, there's just things are not changing fast enough in my life. Why is this taking so long? Why is this so hard? What is the problem here? Why am I not different? Why do I still have some of these old thoughts? Why am I still struggling with some of these same things? And that's the, that's the heart of the, most of the New Testament because the New Testament was written to the church that was dealing with, they were just like us, they're alive, they're living, they're trying to walk with God in the present. So they needed instructions on how to experience um, the Christian life. And our sanctification or our, us being made holy is this process. It looks different for all of us. And, and I think sometimes the focus in our understanding gets skewed because we, don't, we get really uh, messed up into thinking, why am I still where I'm at? And at the same time, sometimes, you know, life doesn't change because we do not yield ourselves to Him. We've committed our lives to Him but we're holding on to all sorts of things, or we choose disobedience in areas. And so I think the Lord really wants to challenge us as we walk with Him to keep changing, to keep handing things to Him, keep releasing things to Him, which is really what I want to wrap up this, this year with as we look ahead. Um, but this verse in Philippians 1.6, it really it has all three of those ideas about our whole salvation. It's being confident of this, that He who began... That word began really is talking about the justification process. We, we were justified. He began a good work in you that will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. You see all ideas in there, but God is changing you. He's changing me. You may not see it, but others see it. You know, for those of you who've come to Christ in the last couple of years since we started the church, and, and I think about your lives and I look at, you know, where God is has taken you, I just, I see, wow, there's some serious progress in people's lives because they've decided to really allow God to work. And that's an encouragement. Just seeing life change in people is huge encouragement. So as we reflect, though, on last year, there's some questions I think we ought to continue to ask ourselves. Since God doesn't want us just to keep going back to life as, or business as usual, then we should ask ourselves these kinds of questions often. One, how are things different in my life since last year? In the way that I deal with discouragement, in the way that I deal with fear, in the way that I handle heartbreak, in the way that I relate to grumpy people, you know, do I just bite their heads off like I always have? And, I mean, in the way that I do life, how is my life different now from a year, a year ago? Or this question, how has God and the Bible affected my perspective? The way I parent, the way I do finances, the way, I, you, know, the way you date. You know, there's these different areas that, that God is after. He's really wanting to work with us on making us more like Him. He's trying to shape and mold us. I was looking yesterday at um, some baptism photos. had a guy from our church here who came, and we were looking at old photos from my laptop. And some of the photos we were looking at was when he was baptized and looking at photos of some of you when you were baptized and just a real encouragement to see, wow, that's just neat because I remember what life was like. I remember conversations I'd had with those people and just seeing where God has, has taken us and what God is doing with amongst us. It's just it's an encouragement to see that because that's God's goal. He's wanting to keep 
making us more like Him and different. His goal is this. I've noted a few things in your outline. His goal first is full maturity. This is what God is after. None of us are going to be completely perfect, but that's His goal. Full maturity, not half-hearted Christianity. This is what the early church went after when they were trying to raise up new disciples. We bro- it says in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Him. This was the focus of the local church. We proclaim Him. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. So Paul's saying is this is, this is our goal. We're aiming to present everyone to God perfect in Christ. We want to make sure that we've instructed people fully on what it means to walk with Him. How God wants to change our lives. We haven't just, he's saying, we haven't just made it about get saved, but he's, he's also saying we've made it about teaching, instructing people to change and helping people learn to grow. And this is, this is, this is something that God has to do in our lives. If he wants, he wants to bring us towards full maturity so we would allow him to do his work in us. Sometimes I, I really know this is the case for my life to where there's just areas where I just like to hold close to, to myself. I just like to hide in my pocket. Don't mess with these areas. These are, these are my areas. God, keep your hands off those areas. And we can have that attitude when it comes to this change that He wants to, to make. We can just say, you know what? Hands off, God. I want, I want you. I don't want to die and, and go to hell. I want to go to heaven, but, but my life is my life. That's not a real understanding of what, what Christ, what it means to really follow Him. That's not a clear understanding of Christianity because you can't divide those issues of being Christ being the Savior of my life but not being the Lord of my life. You can't divide those two issues. It's, it's one and the same issue according, according to the Scriptures. And as we're going to see, some of these things, look at this next thing. His goal is Christ-likeness, not worldliness. He wants to make us like His Son. We were walking in line with the patterns of this world. We were heading in a, in a direction following the, the ways of the world. And now He intends to transform us to reflect His Son. He wants when people to look, He wants when people interact with us and experience life with us, for them to get a little taste of, of Christ. That we would be little Christs in a sense. That we would give people a clear picture of, of the life that Jesus lived when they interact with us. The way that He loved people. The way that He served people. The way that He laid down His life for people. That's what God's aim is. He, he wants to make us Christ-like. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, because of what God has done, how, how merciful He's been, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. He's saying, stop doing life the way you used to do it, and don't follow the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The implication here is that our old way of doing life needs to be reprogrammed or rebooted, however you want to think of it. But it, when, when we come to Christ and we yield our lives to Him, He wants us to give Him control to lead us in a new direction. At times in our, in our Christian life, we, we hit these crossroad points where our hearts are moving towards the world and then, and then we realize Christ is going a different direction and we hit a crossroads. 
And we're like, man, what do I do here? At those points is when he wants us to, again, say yes to him. I surrender. I, I, you're trying to do something in my... You're trying to change me. I'm not going to fight you. If we choose to continue on in our own way of doing life, follow the ways of the world, sometimes God, sometimes He spanks us in our life. And we experience His discipline in our lives. And it doesn't go well for us for a season. Um, other times He lets us go our own way, but we keep hitting, we keep hitting walls. We feel like we're not making any progress Maybe in our relationships, or maybe in a job, maybe in our finances. We just keep hitting this wall. We can't seem to hurdle over. We can't build a ladder to get over that thing. Well, it's because we're, we're choosing disobedience. We're choosing to hold back. So his goal is Christ-likeness. He wants to keep making us life like Christ. Another goal of God's is this. Is making disciples, not just making decisions. He's after more than just mind shift. He doesn't want us to just cognitively believe in Him, but volitionally ignore Him. Or he, you know, he wants us to do more than just think He's a good guy. And, and, and you know, He wants us to actually change the way we live our lives and the way that we do things and the way we apply things. Look at the, this passage to the uh, followers of Christ. Jesus' words to His followers, when they're about to launch a revolution, He says this. He's about to go up into heaven and He's put them in charge. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's the goal. Make disciples of all the nations. And then he says, this is how you're going to identify them. This is what you do with them. First, you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's saying baptism is it's a mark of a true follower of Christ. It's those who identify with him. And then secondly, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Sometimes we, we, we take the Christian life and we keep it in our head. We keep it just cognitive. So we make decisions and then we teach people. And then they don't change their lives. Because we make it all about instruction and not application. But look at the way the verses, verse 20 says, teach them not just to get more understanding or teach them to be smarter, to debate more, or teach them... All this information, but he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. So the focus of the church is to be about disciple making, teaching them to obey. That's God wants us to actually learn to live this stuff out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're going to make mistakes. None of us are going to be perfect at this. We all blow it, but he's after disciples who follow him. Disciples obey. They don't just say yes and then live life their own way. Another goal of God's is this, fully devoted followers, not fans. Such an extreme statement, but this is what he's after. His goal is fully devoted, fully committed followers, not just fans. And this is why we exist as a church, to develop fully, this is part of our mission statement, to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke 14:27. Jesus says, he's talking about how difficult it is going to be to follow him. He's saying, this is not, again, it's not for the half-hearted. It's not for those who are trying to hold on to their lives, hold on to their security. He says, anyone, Luke 14 says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He's after total life commitment. He's not just saying, this is for the elite special forces Christians. If you want to be a special forces Christian, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. 
That's not what he has in mind. He's saying everybody who wants to follow me must take up his cross. And, and we would much, it would be much easier if he just asked us to be fans of his. Just like we're fans of football teams, baseball teams, pop stars. It, you know, when the season's out, it was a good season. You look forward to the next season. You take off your hat and your garb and, you know, you put away your clothes and your, your, your penance and all that. And then next season they don't do so well, so you kind of forget about them for a while. And then, or if you're a diehard fan, you don't ever forget about the true team, you know. But sometimes we, we take that fan mentality and we try to put it on Christ. And I'm his fan. Jesus is good. So I slap a bumper sticker on my car. I put a nice t-shirt on that says, I love Jesus. I put a hat on that says the same. And I sing Christian music. I listen to Christian radio. I drive a Christian car. They make them. And, and, you know, but Jesus is not trying to expand his fan base. He's not trying to, to grow his fan base on Facebook or Twitter. He's after fully devoted followers. People who will lose their life for him. Who will give their life for him. Who will say, you know, I had some things that were really important to me. And I have set those things aside to follow after you. Where you lead, I will follow. Where you go, I will go. I will serve those that you ask me to serve. I'll love those that you ask me to love. In America, we have such a difficult... I, we have such a difficult... Underst- it's so difficult for us to really get our minds around this because it's so easy to be a Christian in our country. It's so easy to follow Christ in this, in this place. My, uh, my parents are here in the, in the, near the front row. They're in the front supporting their son, so... But I uh, appreciate that. But my mom and dad and I were talking last night, and my mom was looking through some old emails. And they had this uh, couple from Nigeria that was living with them for almost a year while they were going through seminary, um, training for ministers. Um, and my parents took them in, let them live there for about a year. And this couple, who was about a few years younger than my parents, they were uh, ministry leaders in Nigeria, highly respected ministry leaders. And when they left, um, he had a price on his head. You know, and so if you understand other countries, you know, it's not it's not a Jesus isn't creating this big fan base. They don't drive around bumper stickers and in countries where it's where there's religious tension and, and things of that nature. But in in Nigeria, like half of the country is Muslim, half of the country, I think the southern half is is more Christian, but there's this warring between the north and the south. And a lot of people are killed. And we don't read about this in the LA Times. We don't learn about this stuff, but this stuff is real. And she was reading this email, and um, the pastor, his name is Bakari, and his wife's name is Lamy, and they sent a message to folks just saying, pray for us. And and, um, this local pastor there had... Uh, they were rehearsing for a Christmas Eve service, and um, these radical Muslims came in and, and drugged the Christians out of there, killed the pastor, killed the people that were rehearsing for the choir for the next day, and just all because they followed Christ. All be, there's this religious tension between them. And it's interesting. My dad said, you know, if it ever, you know, if they ever had to escape the country, because there's a price on his head again, this this guy. And my dad said, you know, we'd take them back in a heartbeat. You know, if they needed to escape the country and come here and just to live. And, and then we all kind of followed up that and we knew they would never do that. They, they went back knowing 
there was a price on their head. They, they went back knowing what they were walking into, and yet they were willing to follow Christ. That's why Jesus, when he says that, you know, anyone who wants to follow me must take up his cross and follow me. The instrument of our death. We're putting to death our old ways of living, our old life. You know, we're not trying to make us shine. We're trying to make Christ shine. That's what he's after. He's, he wants our full devotion. And all of these ideas, they come straight out of the Bible, but it sounds like this strange, extreme breed of Christianity. But that's what actually Christ calls us to. In America, it's just a lot easier for us to practice Christianity. So in 2011, just kind of wrap up on the... In 2011, expect God to do business in these areas. One, in in your time and opportunities. He's going to keep trying to change certain things about the way we do life. Our time and our opportunities. Mark 135 This gives you the pattern of Jesus relating to his father. Very early in the morning, it says, while it was still dark, Jesus gets up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He he daily would spend time with his father. He gave his father the first and the best part of his day as a priority. Some of us may not be morning people, but figure out what's the first or what's the best part of my day, and how can I give that to the Lord? How can I say to him, I want you to be first place in my time? Because if you give him your best part of your day, that will set the direction or the focus of how you do your life. This is a new year, and so we're about to start one, and this is a great time to think through, what are some new things, some new habits I can form, some new routines to allow God to have more of my life? In Scripture, God tells time by opportunities, not by minutes. We tell it by the... By the clock, he tells time by opportunity. So he, pres- he provides, he presents opportunities for us to love him, to serve him, to follow him. That's why Paul says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Every day God presents moments or opportunities for us to obey him, every single day. And, and if we're not careful, we get pulled in a direction towards the way of the world. And so he's saying, make the most of every opportunity you got because when it's gone, it's gone. And we all know we miss opportunities and we regret it. I mean, man, I should have done something about that. I should have said something right there. I should have stepped in while I had the chance. Because life is just moving. We miss opportunities. I went to get some vacuum cleaner bags for my Kirby repairman. It's this older man that Pat's Kirby, Pat's Kirby repair down there on Magnolia. And every time I go in there, just a real friendly guy, get my bags. He tells me, make sure you service your Kirby in the next few months. And I go on my way, and I was expecting the, the talk again about servicing my Kirby. And I get in there, and no Pat. I look up, there's a obituary heading. Pat had died. And I thought, man. And I, I, I thought, I looked at how old he was, and I was impressed. He was 92 when he died, and he had just worked on our vacuum in June. So he died in June. I'm thinking, man, this guy... He lived a full life, still working on vacuums at 92, you know. And, uh, but it really made me think about this opportunity issue. There we, we, we have opportunities, and we, God wants us to not lose them, because later on we live in regret. We think, oh, I wish I would have said something. Or, I, would have, I wish I would have made more of an effort with that person. Or, you know, I wish I would have done what I could have done to help in that situation. But you can also count on God... Wanting to do business, secondly, in your resources and in your possessions. He keeps going after this stuff in the Scripture. He talks more about money than he did about heaven and hell. 
Because money gets a grip on our hearts and begins to lead us in a direction. Materialism is prevalent in our world. And so the love of money, the love of stuff is nothing new. Jesus, he went after this stuff because it was still common in their days. He said this, do not store up. This is from Jesus. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We think we can divide our devotion, but we can't. We can't be pulled in two separate directions. And so he keeps pressing for full devotion when it comes to our resources. And he asks us to keep giving faithfully. Keep, keep providing for the needs of ministries faithfully. And giving actually is, is one of the only cures for materialism and greed. When we release things to God, it really, really does something to the way we view the stuff that we think we have to have for ourselves. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to the overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So God's response to giving is blessing. It's blessing. He starts with the word honor. He says, Honor me with your wealth. And in the way that we give, in the way that we spend, in the way that we save, we have opportunities to honor God with our wealth, with the money that He's entrusted to us as stewards. Each time we give, we actually honor Him. And if we're not sure how we're honoring Him, if you ask the question, how am I honoring God? We can tell. You just have to open up our checkbook, look at our online account activity, and it tells us, who do we honor? Sometimes I look at it and I think, man, I'm really honoring myself way too much. I'm lifting myself up way too high. But we can honor our family. We can honor ourselves. We can choose to honor God. He wants us to release this stuff to Him so He can pour more blessing in, into our lives to steward more faithfully. But even our possessions, like I, I, I think as we look ahead towards 2011, think about what do you have. You, you probably live somewhere. You have a vehicle you drive. You have some food. Think about how can I honor God even with that stuff, with the, with the possessions I have. You can honor Him in the way that you open your life to other people. It, it really is an honor to, to swing the doors of your life open and to invite other people to experience life with you, to share, to give, to help. You know, that's, that stuff is priceless to the Lord. The last thing is this. In our decision-making and in our perspective, He wants us to be making the Scripture a part of the equation on a regular basis. He wants to shape the direction that we do life when we make decisions. Our hearts are so important. Scripture says, above all else, guard your heart. Be careful what you allow to get into your heart. Guard it, for it is the wellspring of life. It's like the cockpit of our life. That's why we seal the door of a cockpit on the plane, because whatever gets into the cockpit will direct the plane. And the same way is for our lives. Our, Our hearts... Or like a cockpit. Whatever gets into our heart will direct the flow of our life and our future. The way we view things. The way we do things. What we decide. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. For my, God's saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God, He desires to hold the highest place in our lives. He wants us to say, God, your ways are far higher than mine. 
Help my thoughts and my ways to line up with yours. Yours are far more superior than mine. You know how life really works. But all of these areas that I've listed, all these areas, you can count on these being regular heart monitors in, our, in your life, in my life, throughout the course of our life. But think about 2010. These are areas God's going to check often. So my encouragement is yield them regularly to Him. If you find yourself getting stuck spiritually, check some of these areas out. And see, am I yielding or am I, am, I, am I keeping these things back and hidden from Him? God's aim is to bring godly change. Think of what would happen in our lives if we were to release ourselves completely to Him for His purposes. Think of what our church could be like. Think of what our families could be. Think of what this community could be like if we said, God, I'm fully yours. Do with my life what you will. I trust you. The quote, I just wanted to share this and then we're going to pray. This is from a man named Dawson Trotman. I've been reading this book with a few of the guys from our church. and It says this. He says, God can do more through one man who is 100% dedicated to Him than through 100 men who are only 90%. And that's a real challenge. God wants 100 percenters. He wants people who say, I'm yours completely. I'm holding nothing back. So let's pray as the band comes forward. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you again for your goodness and your faithfulness, God, in our lives. Lord, we, we owe everything to you. you. You gave up your very life so that we could live and so that we could experience an eternity with you. Father, we, we admit, Father, it's so easy to just hold things back or to stubbornly disobey when, when you speak so clearly to us uh, because we think our way is better. And Lord, I, I'm be the first to admit that I've seen and failed so many times to know that that's just not the case. And so Lord, help us to begin this new year with a different perspective, a different focus, a different level of commitment, Lord, even, that you'd help us to arrange our lives in a way that really honors you. If there's something specific you've spoken to us about, Lord, help us to, to write that down today, to, to decide to take a step in, in a new direction, Lord Jesus. We love you and we thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. On the back, we've left the next step section blank today, but if you'd like, you can write down one of those next steps. If you like, we'll pray for you as you take that step. And um, our, off, our ushers are going to be coming around. And if you would, um, when the ushers come around, if you drop the white card in there as well. And uh, thank you for your giving, your faithfulness in giving.